0: Welcome to the 3 Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing some lackluster quarterback play during the opening week of the 2023 CFL season. Jason Moss
1: and Cody Fajardo vowing that Montreal's pass protection will improve.
0: Highs and lows of week one CFL attendance. The Calgary Stampeders losing star running back Kadim Carey to a toe injury.
1: And our picks for week two of CFL regular season action. But first?
2: Donk, you exclusively reported the CFL's TV ratings from week one of the season, which were down 12% on English language television from last year's opening week. Should the league be worried about these numbers or is there some other context that needs to be discussed?
0: There's definitely some context, and I do think the league should be worried a little bit. First of all, it's down 12%, which isn't huge when you consider that more and more people are turning to streaming these games. You can get it that way. That's largely how even the three of us watch these games, I think, most of the time, especially for me at least. So I think that's part of the context here, that we don't have the streaming numbers, but we go off the data that we have, and that's why I said 12%, I don't think, is a massive drop. But Where I think the CFL really aired in the opening week is the first game. You have all this hype for a new season. CFL football is finally back. Summer's in the air. Jim Nance is out here during the Memorial Tournament for the Uninitiated, which is one of the top tournaments on the PGA Tour outside of the majors, pumping this game between BC and Calgary. And then think of this, guys. People tuning in on CBS Sports Network in the States see a half-empty stadium and just not a lot of buzz around the game. Like It's easy to say in hindsight, but I was thinking this even going into week one, that why is it that Lions-Stampeders is your opening game of the season? Let's just look south of the border. It's very easy. Copy what the NFL does. They usually have the defending Super Bowl champion play an up-and-coming and sexy team. This year, it's the Kansas City Chiefs against the Detroit Lions. Well, you could have the Toronto Argonauts at home for their banner unveiling, with the sexy team being... Their rival, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, coming down the QEW for Bo Levi Mitchell's debut. That would have ensured that BMO Field would have been reasonably, if not pretty, packed because that would have been the first time that Tiger Cats fans could have seen Bo Levi Mitchell live in a game that counted. You would have had the Chad Kelly era. Maybe the Argonauts could have done some fun stuff in terms of people that were in the building as well, some celebrities and the like. But there's other matchups here that I think could have looked better you could have sent the Argos on the road to Winnipeg like we saw the Tiger Cats play in front of a big crowd at IG Field you could have sent the Argos to Saskatchewan where you have a pretty good feeling that there's going to be a big crowd there as well the stadium would look full it would just look great to the US fans and also the Canadian fans that are perhaps tuning into the games for the first time so I don't think the league should worry a lot that the TV ratings are down but they should do more to help themselves out because so often this league just doesn't. And Randy Ambrose has talked about wanting the league to have more swagger. Well, when you have a TV rating of your first game of the season, that's less than a quarter of a million. I don't think that's the kind of swagger he's talking about.
1: Yeah. For me, that was the takeaway was the first game of the week was less than 50% of the audience of game two and game four. And, and, barely half of what game three was and credit to you by the way dunk the ottawa montreal game and for the uninitiated rds is tsn's frank french language affiliate they do french language broadcasts of the montreal Alouettes and ottawa red blacks our ratings have received criticism at times over the last few years because we don't didn't previously report the french language numbers well dunk you've since gotten your hands on those we know that for ottawa at montreal which Double dipping, by the way, because both French language markets are involved in that game. Obviously, it did 278,000 English viewers and 174,000 French language viewers. And that is approximately in line with what, you know, kind of previous reports had indicated that the French language audience is, you know, it's, it's more than half, but not quite three quarters of what the English language audience is. So kudos to you for bringing extra clarity to that. I still think the English language is obviously the most important given that that is what, you know, the, the primary uh, network that, that broadcast the CFL is in. TSN is an English language channel, but I appreciate that we now have even more depth for our listeners, for our viewers, for our readers who are who are now getting the chance to actually see those hard French language numbers.
2: I agree with, with both of your points when it comes to the scheduling and, and the fact that opening up the season in Calgary is, is the opposite of sexy. I was in that building. That is not a sexy building. That is, that's like trotting out an 80 year old grandmother for the fashion show. It's, it's not, it's not an attractive place to play a football game, but I do think there's some context that has to be added here. It's not uncommon context. This is something that the CFL faces almost every year. So Take that with a grain of salt as well. But those two games that didn't necessarily have those numbers in the 500,000s that we like to see, both of those games went up against a Stanley Cup final game, right, where the Vegas Golden Knights, who are now the champions, were going up against the Florida Panthers. And as much as that matchup boggles my mind, because that's two markets that shouldn't have hockey teams. Lots of people were watching that game and invested in the Canadian players playing there and those storylines. The Blue Jays also played on that opening Thursday night, and we know they draw big-time numbers, especially in the summer. And then, of course, the cherry on top of this sort of perfect storm of big-time sporting events, Nick Taylor. First Canadian to to go in and, and win the Canadian Open in, what was it, 60-plus years on a 72-foot 72, seventy-two foot uh, putt for Eagle in a playoff. I mean, I don't care about golf, and I was watching that moment with great interest. So there were some other things that were drawing eyeballs away from the CFL this opening weekend. That's typical, but the way the schedule worked out, if you have to watch two teams – that don't have large followings in a decrepit old stadium or a potentially impactful Stanley Cup final game. I know a lot of people are making the choice to watch hockey instead of football on that Thursday night. CFL needs to be more more aware of that sort of scheduling issue and make sure their matchups are sexy enough to compete.
0: When you get off the bus in football, you usually send your biggest, most fiercest-looking dude off the bus, right? For the Winnipeg (laughs) Blue Bombers, it would probably be Willie Jefferson. For the Ottawa Red Blacks, arguably, it would be Drew Desjardins. So you're the CFL. You don't send your backup, defensive back off the bus first like they did (laughs) in week one in terms of the television matchup. you got to send your best and bring your best. So to give a little more context, JC's on point. The numbers for that golf tournament, the Canadian Open – were a little bit tricky to decipher on the ratings. But what it said was round three slash four had over 500,000 viewers, of course, on TSN who was carrying the tournament. So yes, that playoff did bleed a little bit into the Elks and Riders game on Sunday night. And there was a lot of intrigue there. Anytime you put the red and white Canadian flag on anything in this country, it usually draws intrigue for sure. And most likely writings, especially in a scenario like that. But the CFL has to do a better job of getting this opening matchup right. Now, the other context I think that's important, guys, before we move on, is the scheduling and the stadiums being available. So that's something that I'm sure some people in the league office are shaking a fist at saying dunk and those guys over at Three Down Nation criticizing us and we don't necessarily have the availability we would like at these stadiums. So that plays a role as well. But for your first game next year, CFL, please get it right and add that swagger that you'd so dearly like other people to believe the league has.
1: Yeah. McMahon stadium is very busy when the stamps aren't playing as being a breeding ground for rats. It's uh, it's fully booked for that purpose. <laughs> fully booked. Can confirm. <laughs>
0: But <laughs> well, what else have they had that run on the field there over the years? There was a rabbit too, right? Yeah, lots of rabbits. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah lots the world's rabbits.
0: fastest cow lives there. Maybe the cow grazes on those other days. It's got the, preferential the cow is actually fast.
2: That was my big takeaway from being in McMahon for the first time. <laughs> Everything else, I mean the the pregame festivities, the halftime acts, it was all kind of bad. The world's fastest cow that that lives up to the billing. That was impressive. <laughs> This was your first time to McMahon, JC? Yes, first time at McMahon Stadium, yeah. Did you get stadium. your tetanus shot? I, I did, yes. <laughs> oh, <So>, yes. <laughs> you know, and we'll get into attendance later. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was expecting less fans, even though it was not an impressive crowd there. But the stadium was exactly what I expected, which was old and fallen apart.
1: And if you don't like this banter about McMahon Stadium, any Calgary fans, please send it to your local politicians so that you can get a worthy new building. That is why we are making fun of McMahon Stadium. Please get a new building. Please. Pretty please. Build a new building. That would be lovely.
0: Outside of Zach Caleros and Vernon Adams Jr. in week one who played at that decrepit McMahon Stadium. It was a rather disappointing week from the standpoint of quarterback play in the CFL, not including Ottawa who are starting Nick Arbuckle until Jeremiah Masoli presumably returns from injury which could be after their upcoming bye week. Which team should be most concerned about its QB1?
1: Well, let's let's go around the league. Jake Mayer was very disappointing in Calgary. Trevor Harris did not play very well in his Saskatchewan debut. Uh, Bolivai Mitchell was not very impressive. That pick that he threw on his second drive was absolutely terrible. An audit, like should have been thrown away and he threw it straight to DeMario Houston. Um, and then Cody Fajardo, I thought was disappointing. got sacked six times, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show for the Alouettes, but that's not all his fault though. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that more later in the show. Uh, but he didn't do very much through the air, right? He had, he had the one big shot to the, to the new kid to Austin. And then he had. You know, Kayon, Julian Grant, kind of a catch and run, whatever. But it it was not a very good performance. To me, the team that needs to be pushing the panic button a little bit is the Edmonton Elks, who went out and spent a boatload of money on a brand new receiving core, which is absolutely star studded. You've got Manny Arsenault as kind of your underneath uh, possession guy. You've got Kyron Moore who can rotate in as your deep guy. You've got Eugene Lewis who can do literally everything. Dylan Mitchell is sensational. Steven Dunbar is sensational. And the thought process was let's go and get the best receiving core possible because then Taylor Cornelius just has to put it in the right area code. And these guys are going to bring it down. Well, Taylor Cornelius in that game often was calling the wrong area code. It was, I think, the worst game I've seen him play. Uh, Taylor Cornelius has been an excellent quarterback at times in his young career. He does very good things with his legs, right? He's made some good reads. He looked like a confused rookie out there. It was a very disappointing performance. Uh, Dylan Mitchell finished that game with negative receiving yardage. So if you're sitting there at home right now, listening to this podcast or sitting in your car, you can rest knowingly that you have more receiving yards right now than Dylan Mitchell does, (laughs) which is a crazy statistic considering how incredible he was last year. Like if you take out Eugene Lewis's touchdown, which was 102 yards, by the way, boys Cornelius finished that game with 100 passing yards and two picks like that is truly awful and for a team that is obviously trying to get better right Victor Quee got a little bit salty after the game they've now lost 18 regular season home games in a row you can't have that level of quarterbacking especially because after him who do they have right yeah you've got Trey Ford but who's who's you know got a lot of upside but
0: bro let the Canadians start okay
1: well he's well and but that's my point you shouldn't after week one Be starting to question, okay, who should actually be the starting quarterback for this team? Like the the Elks did that last year, right? Taylor Cornelius was a healthy scratch at the start of the 2022 season. You had Nick Arbuckle, you had Trey Ford get his get his chance. So this is a team that I think needed Taylor Cornelius, who's getting paid pretty big dollars, by the way. It's not like he's getting it's like he's making second tier or third tier quarterback money. He's right up there with with a lot of the starters. He needs to be a million times better in week two. To me, he was the most disappointing.
2: Yeah, let's be frank about Cornelius's big-time throw as well down that sideline to Eugene Lewis. That was all Lewis. That ball was not placed very well. Lewis had to come back for it, come over top the defender. That was a miraculous play by the receiver. Cornelius just wasn't hitting his targets at all in that first game, and that's something we've seen from him at every stage in his career Clearly, it hasn't been fixed by being anointed the starting quarterback. But I'm going to go to the other Elberga team with my pick, and I'm most concerned about Jake Mayer. And this is a guy I was very high on when he first came into the CFL, and I thought the Calgary Stampeders made the right decision in moving on from Bo Levi Mitchell and anointing him the starter. But there's no excuses now, right? He's had the whole offseason knowing he's the guy, and The last few times we've seen him on the field have not been good. He gets pulled in that playoff start against BC, really struggles in that. We only saw him for about four throws in the entire preseason. He looked awful in that brief appearance. And then he comes out against BC's defense in this season opener and looks utterly confounded, completely confused. It was an awful performance from the quarterback. I thought the stat line was better than what he played, and the stat line was not that impressive. He didn't eclipse 200 yards. Now, there was some pressure. I thought Calgary's offensive line struggled a little bit. The receivers didn't give him a lot of help, but Jake Mayer needs to learn to start Pushing the ball down the field and not dink and dunk with all these tiny screens and outlet passes. He just plays with no authority right now, no gumption, no intensity. I need to see more if Calgary is going to be a playoff team again. They need him to start utilizing those downfield weapons. And Dave Dickinson, as the play caller, needs to change up his offense or
0: find a quarterback who can do the things they need to do to win. You guys are a couple of Debbie Downers, so I'll present the other side of this. (laughs) It's one week, and I've been through this as a university quarterback in Canadian football in this country that – you can practice as well as you want. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell's out here talking about how he hit all these shots, especially to Tim White, and practice deep down the field. And then you get in the game and you just miss them. And it's totally different when it all comes on for real and everybody's playing full speed. Now, I agree. Both Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer were pretty bad in Week One. They would have been graded by any model, Pro Football Focus or the like, very low. But I think how they bounce back in week two is going to say a lot about these quarterbacks because now there's a little bit of data there. There's a little bit of that, okay, I know what this guy's going to do when the game action is live in terms of receivers that I'm throwing to. I have an idea of how our offensive line is going to look and how comfortable I feel in the pocket and some things that I need to change up a little bit. I actually feel like Bo Levi Mitchell was very close to having a great week one. He missed multiple shots down the field to Tim White for one, streaking down there. So I think he was really close to playing really well, and that game was already high-scoring as it was. But what would be most concerning to me is Cornelius. I think that even though it's been one week, and this is a massive week for him in week two, because you have Trey Ford sitting right there who you could see a progression from last year before he got knocked out, which what ended up being for the majority of the rest of the season last year with that shoulder injury. But there was a progression there from Trey Ford, and he could run... And makes some plays with his legs as well with that elite speed that he has. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Cornelius going into week two. It's not the same in Calgary. But I mean, he's young. But Logan Bonner did look pretty good in the preseason. I don't think Calgary's going to go that way. They're going to ride it out with Mayer because they've made this decision. But let's see how these guys bounce back in week two. Because there's a lot that can be gleaned and learned from week one.
1: And I agree, we need to hold off till week two. My only issue with that, to some extent, is some of these guys have not earned the benefit of the doubt, right? If Zach Kolaris had come in and stunk up the joint, and by the way, Zach Kolaris did stink up the joint at least once last year, he he completed seven passes in their win at Commonwealth Stadium over the Edmonton Elks, for instance. Um, he he's earned the benefit of the doubt, two time MOP rating, right? If 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 Nathan Rourke hypothetically was still in this league and came on stunk up the joint week one, there is no reason to hit the panic button. But for Jake Mayer, this is becoming a pattern. And Taylor Cornelius, again, the the, the regression is real. We need need to see this. We need to see this. At some point, you've got to make it happen. So I'm excited for week two. Let's see what that holds. There were 29,000 fans at IG Field for Winnipeg's home opener. I can attest I was there at the press box. It was rocking, uh, which is pretty par for the course, of course. In Bomberland, of the three other games, however, JC, the attendance figures 17,900 in Calgary, 20,800 in Montreal, 32,000 in Edmonton. Which one surprised you the most?
2: Well, I'll start with the game that I was at, at McMahon Stadium. And I know that seventeen almost 18,000 number isn't very impressive. And it's certainly not on par with what they've announced previously. But the discussions that were happening in the press box was, you know, what's the over-under for attendance? People were saying 13,000, 12,000. That's what the guesses were. Now, they thought they were going to announce 24 because that has been the history at McMahon Stadium is they announce way higher attendance than what's actually in the seats. So this this 18,000 mark looked exactly what it was in the stadium, and I was pleasantly surprised by that. Now, the big one is Edmonton getting 32,000 fans out to their stadium, even in the midst of a 17-game losing streak, which has now unfortunately been expanded to 18. I thought that was an impressive number from Victor Cui, the president there, and his team getting the marketing push out to get all these people in the stadium and sell them on a team that should, in theory, be on the come-up. Now, we'll see how that retains going into their next home game, knowing that this was a disappointing performance all around for the Elks. Taylor Cornelius didn't look very good. Very few players on that team looked very good in this week one matchup, and it was not a particularly exciting game either to sell the fans on. So kudos to the you know uh, the sales team and the marketing team of the Elks for getting all these fans out. Your job just got a little bit harder to make sure they come back the next time you're playing at home.
0: And it's going to be even harder considering the week one opponent was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and we all know how well Rider Nation travels. So if Edmonton can keep up over 30,000 fans at Commonwealth Stadium without green and white fans coming to boost that number, then I will be impressed. So I like what Victor Qui has done in terms of getting the fan base to come back out and at least try to trust this organization after the disaster that was Chris Preston as president. I think he kind of took the team away from the fans, but they got to do it without the rider bump, so to speak.
1: And for context on these numbers in Edmonton, this is a team that averaged well over 30,000 fans every season in their building from 2010 through 2018 Twenty nineteen, it dipped to twenty nine thousand. Twenty twenty one to twenty six thousand. Last year, boys, they fell just short of twenty four thousand. So to go from an average of twenty four, approximately last year, to over thirty two for the opener, as you said, JC, I'll echo that. Full credit to that team. Full credit to that organization, especially when you haven't won in forever. But to me, I was again, I, I as much as I, I have a lot of respect for Victor Victor Cui, the work that he's done. I was disappointed to see his tweet claiming that the media was going to negatively spin the loss because, I'm sorry, 18 consecutive home losses is not negative spin. That's just fact. And the previous record that they broke, boys, was 14. Like, like they have entered into truly unprecedented futility at home. And that's not just a recent statistic. That is literally the the life and the history of the CFL. And I'm not trying to be extra negative. It's also worth noting that Eight of those losses predated the Chris Jones-Victor Qui era, but 10 of those losses took place in the Victor Qui chris Jones era. Now, are they going to win at home? Eventually, of course, they will, but they need to get used to hearing about this until they finally get that
2: monkey off their back. End this segment with something that's going to make both you gentlemen roll your eyes, and that is my favorite attendance fun fact of the week and that is every single CFL team was outdrawn by the Hamburg Sea Devils of the European League of Football who had 32,500 fans out for their home opener against the Rhine Fire from Dusseldorf. So CFL teams, step up your game. There are teams in Germany that are getting more more fans out for their semi-professional league than you are right now.
1: I love how Dunk found a way to get Canadian quarterbacks on the pod. And JC found a way to talk about European league football. That's (laughs) we are, we are on
0: brand today,
1: boys on brand.
0: Is that part of Randy Ambrose's CFL 2.0 strategy? Oh, well, I mean, probably not because he doesn't know how to actually
2: capitalize on anything good, but
1: (laughs) well, Hey, if we're, that is a good point though. If we're bringing in like Bermudian punters, then maybe we can also bring in 10,000 fans from Germany to some CFL stadiums who need to buoy attendance. Maybe
2: that's the plan. Are plan. you uh, yeah, Are you suggesting a mass kidnapping scheme, Hodge?
1: Whoa, no, 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 no. No, geez. No. It's like, Set it's up like a, a voluntary to bring exchange them over, maybe? program. There you go.
2: There you go. Voluntary <laughs> exchange program. That's what we used to do at my high school. We'd find the kids who were on exchange who didn't speak English, and then we'd trick them into playing football. Oh,
1: Maybe that's why, you know, 10 years later, there's been this big boost in in European football.
2: There you go. It's all my ex-teammates. I got a kid in the Czech Republic with a BC championship ring. He's the only one there. I guarantee it. Here we go. Down the rabbit hole, JC. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's keep it concise. Let's talk about the games for next week. Week two of the CFL season gets underway on Thursday when the Calgary Stampeders visit the Ottawa Red Blacks. Calgary will be without star running back Kadeem Carey while the Red Blacks are trying to snap a 12-game home losing streak that dates back to 2021. With Calgary favored by 5.5 points on the road, which team are you taking straight up and against the spread?
0: This game's simple to me. Take the points, take the points, take the points. You have the Ottawa Red Blacks who I believe – Play better overall, except for Nick Arbuckle on the road last week against Montreal and should have gotten a win. And they want to own and their own home winning streak. And I can't trust Jake Mayer being a heavy favorite on the road. So I'm going red blacks straight up. Yes, get in on some of that money line with a little sprinkle and red blacks plus whatever points you'll give me five, five and a half. I don't care what it is. Give me them points.
1: I'm going to go against you here, Dunk. I'm going to take the Calgary Stampeders. Yes, we eviscerated Jake Bayer in an earlier segment, but to me, oh, wow, the Calgary Stampeders are going to cover this spread. At least that's my projection. DeMontre Tuggle will be making his CFL debut in the backfield for the Red Blacks, who did not run the ball very well last week. This is a team, as JC said, they haven't won at home since 2021. I don't see that trend changing. The Stampeders cannot afford to start the season 0 oh 2. I'm taking the Stampeders. I don't like I don't like eating points on the road, but I will make an exception for this one. I'm 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 coming up to the buffet, boys. I'm hungry. I'll eat the points.
2: <laughs> well, you know I hate it when Mommy and Daddy fight, so I'm going to split the difference here. <laughs> I <laughs> I can't trust Jake Mayer to cover this spread, especially when it's at five and a half points. We've talked about his problems and how he looked in Week One. I don't trust him a lick, but I don't trust Nick Arbuckle either. So I think Calgary will win this game, but I'm picking Ottawa to cover because that five and a half point spread is just too big for me. If it shrinks down to under three, maybe I consider Calgary covering, but at five and a half
0: points, I've got Ottawa covering the spread. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at Mosaic Stadium on Friday and are. Decided favorites in hostile territory, quarterback Trevor Harris missed practice on Tuesday after taking a huge hit on Saskatchewan's final offensive play. Why was Shea Patterson not in the game? I'll never understand. I don't care what you say, Craig Dickinson. Though head coach Craig Dickinson did say he will be fine. Who do you have in this Battle of the Prairies?
1: To me, this is the easiest line of the week to bet, boys. It's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, minus three and a half on the road. Again, I don't like picking against home dogs, but let's look at the facts here. Fact number one, the Riders are playing on four days of rest. They played on Sunday night. Now they're playing on Friday night. That's really hard to do, especially when the Bombers have had a full week to rest and recuperate. Fact two, Trevor Harris, who's 37 years old, is not healthy. Dickinson said it's a, it's a hit pointer. Yes, he said i will be fine. But let's also note that Craig Dickinson has also not been honest all the time in the past when it comes to the health or the availability of his starting quarterback. Fact number three, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers completely and utterly classed, outclassed the Hamilton Tiger Cats in week one. That team absolutely blew the doors off the Tiger Cats in the first half. They won by 11, even with three, what I would call not, not necessarily fluky, but very bizarre touchdowns by Hamilton in the second half coming as a result of turnovers. Yes, it's not easy to win at Mosaic Stadium, but the Bombers have won there every game dating back to 2019. I am taking the Bombers to cover this line.
2: I am as well. I, I have no idea even understanding the advantage of playing at home, how this is just a three and a half point line, right? Winnipeg is in a different stratosphere right now than Saskatchewan is. That's just a fact. It's been that way for several seasons now. I don't trust the Riders, And here's the biggest thing for me. Willie Jefferson's going to try out on that field for Winnipeg. Who the heck is blocking him in Saskatchewan? Do they even know who their tackle is? Trevor Harris, if he's healthy enough to even run around is going to be running for his life as
0: big Willie J comes off the edge. It's simple, man. Take the Winnipeg blue bombers and eat all them points that Hodge was talking about earlier at the buffet table There is no way that I can see that I would want to put my money down on the Riders this week. Now, sometimes there are surprises in the CFL, but I don't see this happening for a number of reasons that you guys laid out, and also because I think the Blue Bombers are supremely focused on getting back to that Grey Cup goal, and they literally do things, one play, one practice, one game at a time, as cliche as it is. They are so focused on this. They were pumping in music. Michael Shea knows what this rivalry means to the fans. He was talking about Mosaic Stadium or even IG Field would be packed if they played a game between the Bombers and Riders on Christmas Day. So a little bit of levity from the coach. who doesn't necessarily show that all the time. I'm taking the Bombers straight up. And whatever points you have to eat, eat them, lay them, bet the Bombers.
1: Yeah, this line opened at Winnipeg like minus six. It's moved down to me. I would be happy to take Winnipeg up to minus seven. I would. I'm happy to eat a touchdown. Beyond that, I might consider changing course, but uh, I'm happy to eat minus seven. The Edmonton Elks travel to the BC Lions, where these two teams faced off twice in 2022 with the home side coming out on top in both games by a combined score of 105 to 29. That's what we call a shellacking boys. This will mark the first time the Lions wear their new home uniforms and also the first time JC has ever listened to LL Cool J's music. <laughs> the BC Lions are favored by six and a half points. Do you think they can cover that spread against Edmonton?
2: I do. It's a massive spread, but recent history is in their favor. You mentioned that home margin there. I'm going to extend it out. The last four games that BC has played Edmonton, BC has won by a combined score of, get this, 179 to 53. I think the smallest margin of victory there was 16 points. That's good enough for a cover here. Now, most of those games, Nathan Rourke was under setter, but Vernon Adams Jr. also won their last matchup by 16 points. He's looked good so far with the team this year. I trust BC to come out on top over an Edmonton team that frankly did not impress me in week one.
0: The fact that JC has never heard LL Cool J's music is something like a phenomenon, something like a phenomenon. <laughs> but this game to me is not a phenomenon. If you're going to give me that many points with an upset Chris Jones and it's Herlo Cornelius, who I think at this point, yes, it's early, and I said we needed to have some – of the other side of the story earlier in the podcast about this, but I think he's playing for his job, fellas. If he goes out and has another terrible performance without Geno Lewis taking footballs off the top of defensive back heads for 100-yard touchdowns, then you got to talk about mixing it up at the quarterback position. So I'm taking a motivated Edmonton Elk squad that also knows that they went in there last year. Yes, it was Nathan Rourke and got whooped a couple times by the BC Lions. So I'll take the points. I don't love it. But early in the season, I think that's the prudent play in the CFL.
1: I'm going to go with Dunk here. I think that the Edmonton Alex, as much as we talked about how much the offense struggled, their defense looked unbelievably improved from last season. They finally got the personnel locked down. Luchez Pirafoy holding down the back end. AC Leonard coming out the edge. Jake Serezna making the transition from DT to playing on the edge on the other side. That is a very formidable duo they They like their interior guys there as well. I'm taking Edmonton against the spread BC to win solely because I don't think the BC Lions are going to put up a ton of points here. And I think that the elk can keep it within a
2: touchdown. The Hamilton Tiger Cats drive down the QEW highway for a matchup with the Toronto Argonauts on Sunday for the Boatmans' first meaningful action since winning last year's 109th Grey Cup. The Chad Kelly era officially gets underway in the sixth, while Bo Levi Mitchell is aiming to bounce back after an inaccurate season opening performance against Winnipeg. With the Argos being short favorites, who you got?
0: To me this is a difficult game because you have a motivated Tiger Cats team that maybe looked better than they actually are if that could be said in that game against Winnipeg and I think a lot of people are talking about you know the close scoreline even though I don't necessarily think it was that close because those plays that happened that led to Tiger Cats touchdowns you can't count on those Michael Shea said as much the Bombers head coach so I think that's a bit of a write off. The positives for the Tiger Cats is that Boliva Mitchell was very close to hitting a bunch of deep shots but I think this Argonauts team is the most deep team in the East Division in the CFL. And I think they're better along the offensive line and defensive line and definitely more consistent in the trenches than this Tiger Cats team. So, yes, it's Toronto's first game of the season. And, yes, I'm hype about Swag Kelly's season. But to get the Argos as short home favorites was a surprise to me So I will take the double blue in these fresh baby blue Cambridge blue uniforms. Got it right just for you, JC. We're still
1: a long ways away from getting depth charge for this game. So keep in mind, this line could move a lot from the time we're recording this. To me, I like the Toronto Argonauts up to a field goal minus three beyond that. I would take the Ticats here. I think this is going to be a very close game regardless of how it goes. I think Dunk is absolutely right. The Ticats are going to be motivated and Chad Kelly is going to be looking to establish himself as a top quarterback in this league. The Argos must be absolutely champing at the bit here. No game in week one. They're the last game in week two. There's going to be all the great cup festivities. I know sometimes that can lead teams to come out a little bit flat, but I'm happy to take the, the Argos up to a field goal.
2: Week one buys are tough, right? You have that momentum of training camp, and then all of a sudden you get the break when you don't really need it, and you've got to catch back up before your first game of the season. But I don't think it affects Toronto all that much in this game. And I don't trust Hamilton right now. I'm high on their hopes for the rest of the season, but they need time to gel. That much was evident in that first game. Tim White and Bo Levi Mitchell just weren't quite there yet. And I think they need several weeks until they'll get to that point where they can connect on those deep throws and with regularity. So I'm taking Toronto as the short favorites. Quite frankly, I would take them up to five points.
0: I don't think the Argos got to be worried about not having energy. Did you guys see that video of AJ Lett out here spearing dudes? Like, just follow (laughs) that, dude.
1: There you go. It was a good video. It was a good video. Granted, I don't know anything about wrestling, but it was a good video. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2017, longtime CFL coach Don Matthews passed away following a five-year battle with cancer. Matthews won five great cups as the defensive coordinator in Edmonton from 1978 to 1982 before capturing another five as a head coach in B.C., Baltimore, Toronto, and Montreal. The Idaho graduate was a five-time winner of the CFL's Coach of the Year Award and sits second all-time among head coaches with 231 career wins. Matthews was born in Massachusetts, but his mother and father were from New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island, respectively, and he became a naturalized citizen of Canada in 2004 and was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2011. I know that Matthews is largely before JC's time. Dunk, what is your primary memory of Don
0: Matthews? My memories, unfortunately, of Don Matthews are stories that I've heard that I will not share on the podcast, but they are... (laughs) legendary. And if he was a coach in this day and age, I think he would have had to change the way he went about some things. But the Don, as he was known back then, and he has this coaching tree now that has still spread out and is still coaching in the CFL. You know, Chris Jones is one of those guys that talks about Don Matthews all the time, had his way of doing things. And you were either with him, or you would be out of it pretty quick. He didn't care how you conducted yourself off the field, you know, except for getting rest and that stuff, but you could go out and party and do whatever else you wanted as young men might do. But when it came to game time, if you performed, he didn't care what you did outside of that. As long as you performed, that's all the that Don cared about. I think there's something to be said for that and different guys can do it in different ways, but it just speaks to part of the man that Don Matthews was.
2: I wish that Don Matthews was still around as an active coach For the three down nation era, because (laughs) the amount of content that we could have gotten out of this man, it it boggles the imagination. Uh, The quote that always comes to mind when anyone mentions Don Matthews to me is is the famous. I think it's the best coach's quote of all time. This is a dictatorship. I'm the head dick. Fantastic. (laughs) That's the headline right there. There's something like that every single week. You think it matters when Chris Jones says something spicy. Don Matthews will be at another level for online content. Do you got any
0: memories of the Don?
1: I'll I'll just say this. I remember Don Matthews clearly when I was a little kid as being the head coach of the Doug Flutie Toronto Argonauts and winning, of course, a great cup with the Alouettes. I had no idea until I entered this business that he was the defensive coordinator of the legendary Edmonton teams that won five consecutive Gray Cubs. I had no idea. It's obviously way before my time. I had no clue. And that is just, like, it, it just ramps up how impressive he was. I think something that we do too much in pro sports is we we raise up head coaches to be the end-all, be-all, and we totally forget who their coordinators were. Because oftentimes, head coaches... A lot of their success comes, of course, from their players, but also who they hire as their coordinator. So the fact that he won five great cups in a row as a D.C., truly incredible.
0: Let's go to the three-minute drill, fellas. Trevor Harris said he wasn't sentimental about his return to Edmonton, saying he prefers Regina anyway. Do you believe him?
1: Well, Trevor Harris was born in a town called Waldo, Ohio. And for those who don't know what Waldo is, which I'm presuming is everybody except for the people of Waldo, where it's a Waldo? town of like what three it exactly. It's a town of like three hundred fifty people. So if that's what he grew up with, obviously he's going to love Regina. It's the smallest town in the CFL. I am not saying it's that small, but it's the best small town vibe that you are going to find in the CFL. So I am not surprised to hear that he's vibing with Regina. JC, four three donation contributors completed ballots for TSN's CFL Top Fifty Players list, and you and Ryan Ballantyne, our Calgary contributor, took the extra step of publishing your ballots after the list was unveiled. Who, in your opinion, was the most egregious omission?
2: Frankly, I thought the list was mostly right. There wasn't a whole lot of egregious omissions, but I'll pick the player that both Ryan and I had the highest on our ballot, and that was Pete Robertson, the defensive end for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I understand why he wasn't included on the list, because the second half of last season after his injury wasn't quite as good, but this guy had nine sacks in the first half of the season was on a torrid pace you'd have to think he makes the top 50 he was number 30 on my ballot he was higher on Ryan's I'm surprised he didn't make the list Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo vowed that the Alouettes pass protection will improve after allowing six sacks in their season opening win over Ottawa do you think they're right no
0: The Saskatchewan Rough Riders allowed the most sacks in the league last year. When Who was the coordinator? Jason Moss. And who happened to be the quarterback for most of that season? Cody Fajardo. Jason Moss clearly has not figured out the issues in his pass protection quite yet. So, no, I don't think it will be fixed. Hodge, you reported that Canadian tight end Nikola Kalinic worked out for the Atlanta Falcons on Monday, continuing his tour. Do you think he'll get signed by an NFL team this offseason?
1: I think he's got a good chance, too. This was his third workout over the last month or so since he was released by the Indianapolis Colts. He's young, he's physical, he's big, he runs well for his size. I do think that he'll get another opportunity on an NFL roster. The BC Lions have opened the Upper Bowl at BC Play Stadium for this year's home opener, which will include a performance from the previously mentioned LL Cool J Do you think the crowd on Saturday could surpass last year's home opener, which reached an attendance of 34,000?
2: I think it very well could. They've opened the upper deck sooner. They've had an extra week of the season to market this. And BC looked good in their week one game. I think this is a very promising development for the club. There's a lot of NCIS Los Angeles fans out here in Vancouver just itching to see LL Cool J. (laughs) The Hamilton Tiger Cats released Canadian edge rusher Kweku Boateng, who had been a healthy scratch in week one. Was that a surprise?
0: Yes, it was a surprise, but I don't think this is the last that we've heard about Boateng in relation to the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the future. Dot, dot, dot. Canadian defensive tackle Fabian Foote has announced his retirement from the CFL, the McMaster University product won a Grey Cup with the Argos last season. How will you remember his career?
1: Well, unfortunately, I'm going to remember it for the injuries that kept him off the field the last couple of years. He was a very inf- effective kind of rotational interior guy in Montreal. At the start of his career, signed with his hometown Argos, just couldn't stay on the field, which is which is too bad, to be quite honest. Randy Ambrosie told TSN on Thursday that Halifax has to, quote, pull us in close quote if they want a CFL franchise do you see the Maritimes embracing the CFL
2: see fans in the Maritimes embracing the CFL if it comes to them but I don't see anyone in a position of power doing any embracing anytime soon and that's really unfortunate for the CFL and the hopes of an Atlantic schooners franchise Craig Dickinson revealed that Canadian offensive lineman Philip Blake underwent surgery for a torn pectoral muscle
0: and will be out long-term. Is that a big deal for the Raiders? Yes, it's a huge deal for this offensive line that is already reeling. Blake, I would argue, is the best offensive lineman that they had signed on their roster, and it seemed like this injury is going to have him out for quite a while. Now, we should note last season, Andrew Harris was able to return in time for the Argos playoff run to the Grey Cup after suffering the same injury but if you look at the way that Craig Dickinson answered this question, it seems like there's a chance, dare I say, that Blake could be out for the entire season. I hope for Trevor Harris's sake, more than anyone else in Canada right now, that's not the case. And also, of course, for Philip Blake. But that would be a massive blow if Blake did not play one down for the Riders all season.
1: We thank you, as always, for listening to the 3 Donation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for our next episode.